Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers, providing you with practical advice to enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. The advice given in this podcast is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's Stroke Foundation, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. The National Disability Insurance Scheme, or NDIS, was famously called Australia's biggest social reform since Medicare. It is meant to help people with a disability achieve their goals and enjoy life. Being so big, the NDIS is not without its problems, but many people are still getting positive results from it with real benefits for their lives. In this special two-part podcast, we're going to speak to people who work with or use the NDIS about how to get the most out of it. In part one, we'll talk about getting access to the NDIS and setting up a plan to achieve your goals. We'll speak to stroke survivor Pip Murray, whose plan is helping her get back to activities she enjoys, to NDIS local area coordinator Bree Lowther, and to social worker Siobhan McGuinness from StrokeLine. And then in part two, we'll talk to someone who's a bit further down the track and find out what you can do when things don't work as smoothly as expected and how to keep getting what you need from your plan through its annual review. But first, as I said, oh, we have on the line Pip Murray. Pip lives in South Australia's Barossa Valley, and she had a stroke about two and a half years ago. She's become an expert at finding the right supports to get her through the health and disability sector, and she has been on the NDIS for about a year now. Pip, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Now, first of all, there's a question that we always ask our stroke survivors we have on. Could you tell us your stroke story? Okay, yes. Um... My stroke happened actually three years ago now, and uh, I had my stroke anniversary yesterday. Um, it was Easter in 2016. I was um, sailing, massive sailor I am, and I was in the Gulf uh, in South Australia doing some races there for Easter. Um, spent the day um, doing normal activities. I was um, quite a fit person. I used to do the gym regularly and um, eat properly, um, did a 5k walk before our race, um, hopped on the boat and out we went into the Gulf to do our race, um, did the race, it became becalmed at one stage and um, didn't think anything of it, got up to um, put the spinnaker on the side because we are going to have a downward wind and... Um, I was come walking back to the um, bow of the boat and um, I actually got hit by the um, boom of the boat but didn't think anything of it at all. I was a bit dazed, didn't think anything of it. The f- following day, action replay and um, we're out racing and I finished the race was packing up the sail and down I went. Couldn't, uh, I, was, I turned around to talk to someone as I was doing the sail up and I really I realised that I couldn't do the zip up and thought that was a bit odd and um, lost my footing and um, <laughs> the girls thought I'd uh, lost my balance but I did lose my balance. I lost everything on the right-hand side of my body. And I looked over at one of the crew members 
to say something like I'm in awful trouble here and that's when I realised I couldn't talk and I, that's when I realised I had a, had actual stroke. Um, I had a... Um, the crew were very good. I had lots of doctors and lots of nurses on board so they knew um, immediately what had happened. So um, they put me in the uh, some position, coma position, I think they call them, and... Um, called in to the main squad that um, it was uh, Mayday Mayday um, that they were having problems with me and that I needed medical assistance and I was helicoptered into the RA at the Royal Adelaide from the Gulf and um, there they did an MRI and worked out that I'd had a hemorrhage um, stroke and that... Um, because it was a holiday or all the um, specialists were away on holidays and um, I wasn't, no one was game enough really, I think, to go in and uh, clip it off because I was quite conscious um, and it had um, basically finished the disaster that it had been done. So, um, yeah, that's my story. And from then on, uh, it was, the next, the following day was my birthday. Congratulate me! <laughs> and um, uh, I started rehab from then on. Wow! Mm. And now I haven't stopped and won't stop until I'm um, at my best. I think. Mm. Well, how how did the stroke affect you in your daily life and and the things that you could do? It um, initially it was very traumatic because I um, was right in the bit, in the middle of basses. Um, I'm an accountant and uh, I had lots of um, clients that I do BAS forms for and uh, so I had to um, call upon other people to do them for me Um, and physically it affected all my right side. That didn't actually come back to um, any... Like lots of people um, lose the strength in their uh, on their side, and they might gain it within that week. Um, but no, it's um, it's taken a long time to recover. I started off in the wheelchair and being airlifted onto commodes, which was a bit uh, traumatic because uh, I've never been in that kind of situation before, where I had to call on people to put me onto a toilet. Um, they all said that I was very lucky that I was able to be continent whereas a lot of people aren't in my position and from there um, I learnt how to stand then to walk with a um, tripod gradually moved um, to a walking stick and then I went on to now I walk without a walking stick any distance, anything that's too long, I use the walking stick to it still. And if there's crowds of people, I take my walking stick. It's a bit of a, a warning to other people that I'm not um, good on my balance still. Um, it has affected me because I haven't been able to get back to work. And um, I'd like to. I lost lots of friends um, through this because I mostly was physical with my uh, previous life. I sailed 
madly and um, was at the gym and uh, played tennis if I wasn't sailing. And uh, because of that, um, you tend to lose contact with people. I still go to tennis and socialise with um, my sailing group and my tennis group, but I don't um, see them as often as I used to. And people uh, who you think are very good friends, you tend to lose contact with them. It's a bit weird, but um, and I, can't, I still can't quite work out why, but that's okay. Mm. Um, I think they have the problem more than I do. Yeah. What else happened? Um, I my children uh, weren't quite sure how to accept me either. I think um, people in general, as uh, my children are fine now, but um, people in general, when they initially see you, they think because you're physically um, incapable that you're mentally incapable as well, and uh, it's not until you actually start the conversations that they realise, oh gosh, she's actually quite with it. (laughs) Um, I lost my numbers when I first had the stroke and uh, my mother's been wonderful. She's taught me how to add up and subtract up to 100 and backwards again and learn the numbers initially. And I'm now, uh, in a month's time, I, I actually commence work uh, which is great, and I'm starting a very basic junior accounting um, position again, which is really very good. It's taken me three years to get here, but um, and I'm thrilled about my rehab to be able to do that. That sounds yeah. like a sounds like a huge step. I guess um, oh, massive, massive. I, I guess one of the things that you've you've also done here is um, you found new connections and required new support to to help you achieve things. And this is I guess something I want to ask about is. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the supports were helpful for you in getting onto the NDIS. Can you tell us a bit about how all that worked? Yeah. Well, initially, when the NDIS um, was coming into fall here in South Australia, I was with Disability SA. Um, I was one of their, um, I, I guess, users. And um, I they gave me a scholarship to go down to Brain Injury SA um, to do physio, OT and speech therapy because I couldn't talk very well and I still have a bit of a list but it's not as bad as what it used to be. Um, and, uh, and in came the NDIS and everyone looked at me and they said, Pip, you need to get on to this. So um, the girl that uh, was my... Um, I guess, manager of my plan with the Disability SA. She was the prime um, person to do uh, most of the um, hunting and gathering of information, I called it. Um, So she gathered information from um, my other allied health people that I used other than what was in um, Brain Injury SA. And uh, the Brain Injury SA manager organised all the information from the OTs and the physios and the speech therapies within their group to help um, organise and set up a plan for me. And then um, the NDIS, we had to wait until we got um, a phone call from them after our initial application and um, they rang me personally and I set up a interview with brain injury manager, the 
my manager from Disability SA and my brother, he was my rep personally because um, he organised all my finances because um, I couldn't do the numbers. He took over my books and paid my bills and um, so therefore he was um, included in the plan. Okay. Mm. And what, what sort of services were included in the NDIS plan? Well, initially, um, there, I had carers from Disability SA, so we kept them plus the hours that I have for them because they, I have carers that came in um, in the morning and at night. Um, and I'd have people taking me to shopping, to do shopping, and to take me to physio or... Um, they also did, what else did they do, the carers? They um, helped me in the garden because I've got a massive garden. And um, I also personally paid for a cleaner and a gardener. So we put them on, to, and I only needed that after this. So um, we've decided that that wasn't a requirement. Um, what else did we have? Uh, we had the physios and the OTs on there. The number of hours that I spent at um, brain injury um, was trying. We're trying to replicate that with the NDIS, and um, I couldn't. I um, I could drive locally, but I couldn't drive down in Adelaide. I still find it difficult. I um, it's too much information coming in front of my eyes. So um, I need someone to drive me down. We, with Disability SA, they organised the bus, so we'd go down on the bus with disability. But NDIS don't provide any of that. And uh, so you have to have a carer or um, some kind of transportation um, allowance in there as well to get you down to your allied health or whatever services that you were going to. So that was included. Um, uh, I was still in the wheelchair initially and um, so we had repairs and maintenance on equipment that I had from uh, Disability SA provided the wheelchair and uh, what else we had? We had a trolley in my kitchen and... Um, I can't think of anything else. But um, if I needed anything, they um, we set up a budget for just in case. Um, we needed a piece of equipment, and if anything, uh, and if any of the physios or OTs thought that there might be something required in that year, they actually put it, submitted it in their plan um, that they put um, that we presented. Um, what else is in there? It sounds like you got about it, really. Yeah, it I sounds like quite a bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. Talk about the the budget there, because um, mm. I understand there is, yeah, you know, there's quite a bit of administration that comes with these plans, particularly when there are so many things involved in them, and there are That's different right. ways to manage them. Um, there what, are. What sort of setup do you have for managing your plan? Well, um, initially, because I couldn't do the numbers, we thought that James might take over my plan. And um, That's your brother, we is talking, it? That is, yep. that is. But when we were talking to the NDIS um, plan manager for myself, she suggested that it wasn't really quite a good idea because he wasn't close by to be able to maintain that 
whatever carers hours were uh, correct. And um, I was still learning my numbers, so that wasn't um, it wasn't a good thing for me to take on at that time. So um, we they said um, I had a coffee with a girl up here who had been on the NDIS, and she suggested that I um, try my plan manager, which is an external um, group of people, and quite um, they have an app that goes on your phone. And you send them via your phone a copy of the invoice and they pay it after lots of verification. So we thought we'd take, we'd give that a go. And um, I actually, everyone that I've worked with um, after receiving my plan loves my plan manager because they actually pay them within the two, three days, although they're getting a bit... Um, busier now and it's about four or five days so um, I, I'm i glad that I actually did that. It was a small fee to pay and we put we included that in the um, plan as well for them to manage the payments hmm. Okay. I, I um, highly recommend my plan manager because I really have had very little glitches with them at all actually They've paid people on time and everyone's been happy. Um, the initial setup of each person, though, just takes a bit longer than the three to four day payment. Great. And so. with, the, with the whole um, the services running under your plan, do you reckon they've made a big difference to your life? Oh, I'd love to kiss whoever organised it, really, because it's been the best thing for me. If I didn't have... Um, I like it because I can actually say, and next time, I think my numbers are going to be good enough for me to take over the whole plan and um, do the payments as well. But um, at the moment, it's just been like I would never be able to go to select who I want to go see. Like I've got this wonderful physio that I absolutely love and adore and... um, I don't think I would have ever found her if I hadn't had the NDIS because um, I would have continued to use the um, Brain Injury SA services. Um, I decided when I was uh, with Brain Injury, they had a physio would go in and um, they had students there and it was uh, one of the teachers, she looked at me because they used to love using me because I... um, could listen to the students and do whatever they said. And if they were wrong, I still did it just to prove that they couldn't. They were wrong in their method. And the teacher loved me. And she said, you know, you should do Bobath Physio and find a neuro physio here in Adelaide that does Bobath. And I said, well, who's that be? And she said, well, I know one. And she gave me her name. And I tell you, ever since I've been with this girl, she's been marvellous. And I won't give her name out because I don't want her to get busy. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it's been wonderful, really, because I went to her with uh, a a thick um, stopper on my walking stick then and then we went to just a normal walking stick and now I'm I'm without a stick and it's only when I'm in crowds or going uh, more than um, a great di- a short distance that I use the stick with me just to in case I fall yep. um, 
which is wonderful. Yeah. 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 Well, so, sounds like with these kind of improvements and also with things like the, the work you're about to start, that, you know, your goals and what you require are changing. What are you, yeah. what are you hoping to get in the next phase of your NDIS plan? Well, the plan this, this year, it covers um, me to be able to get back to work, which I've just done, um, managed to get myself a job, which is terrific. Um, so that goal is gone. And maybe to keep it would be a good, good one. <laughs> um, and the next, uh, so my goals this year were to get a job, to be able to walk a bit further than, um, would. I'd like to walk faster than I am. Um, at the moment, I'm still quite slow. Um, so that's my other goal. The other goal, um, I'd like to be able to count up to a 1,000. I can only count up to um, 100 really well and 200. Okay. Um, I'd like to be able to count backwards fast again. So... Yeah, they're my goals. <laughs> Seems simple, don't they? Oh, look, it's <laughs> but, um, very important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so well, like you, you've got to think. I've I've gone from not taking an hour to walk down my corridor to now I can do it in a few minutes, um, a minute or two. You know, that's a huge improvement over the past three years. But it's only been in the last year that I've managed to improve more so, and that's because of the NDIS. I swear, I swear by it. It's yeah. been wonderful for me. That's that's really good. Now, what other advice yeah. would you give then for people who want to get out the most out of the NDIS? They need to plan what they want and um, with their goals and really work at... Like, a lot of people have been... Um, a lot of people don't work for um, improving their rehabilitation. They tend to, um, it's more social than, uh, and a lot of people using the NDIS for social stuff. I use it for, like I, um, I pay for my social stuff, but I use the NDIS for my physical and uh, mental improvement. Okay. So, and I work for, um, people need to plan Talk to lots of people, get things written down in, on paper um, to help them uh, get the most out of the NDIS. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's th- really important that you um, talk to all of your allied health, get them to write on paper what you need. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing that experience and that that wisdom with us, uh, Pip. It's, and it is great to hear such a such a positive story. Oh. I love them. I really do. I think it's a wonderful system and I can't fault it. And that was Stroke Survivor Pip Murray. Setting goals is crucial to stroke recovery. Goals can be as simple as walking to the letterbox to check the mail or bigger goals like getting back to work. Enable Me has a unique tool where you and your carer or family can plan what you want to achieve, track how you are progressing and celebrate your successes. You can also connect with other people who set goals similar to yours and challenge or inspire each other. You can even set up a blog to write down how you are feeling and share your own story. And don't forget, our professionals from Stroke client can help with personalized and confidential advice to help you grow stronger after stroke. Visit enableme.org.au. Our next guest is Bree Lowther, who works for Mission Australia as an NDIS local area coordinator. 
Now, what's a local area coordinator, you might ask? Well, that's exactly what we're going to try to find out. Bree, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Now, I'd mentioned we need to find out what a local area coordinator is, so could you please explain what your role is and what is your relationship to the NDIS? First of all, um, our role as an area coordinator, we actually work alongside the NDIS and the NDIA, and we were employed as partners with Mission Australia to be able to assist with supporting people to actually access the scheme and basically get on to plans and once they once people have actually been identified that they're able to get funding we are the people that help link into services as like mainstream services as well as supporting people to get the best out of their plans so basically we're the come to people so if you actually end up with a plan you come and link in with your local area coordinator and then we're able to give you all the information of all the services that are available, whether they're actual allied health services, whether they're social groups, we're able to help problem solve. We actually link people in with plan managers. So we're pretty much, um, well, uh, we're a bit of the ant of the scheme, I, I, I sort of figure, because we've got our thumbs in a lot of pies and we're also the person that actually links between with the participant between the actual scheme and the NDIS. You know, you have a delegate that actually will actually build the plan. What we do is we're that person that becomes that contact person for the actual participant so they're not having to ring 1-800 numbers and just talk to someone random. We become their person for contact. So it's more of that face-to-face and personal, you know, attachment. Okay, and I'm sure like ants, you you carry uh, a lot more than your own weight as well. Yeah, very much so. Now, just, just quickly though, you did mention um, NDIA and I just want to clear this up. So we hear the NDIA and NDIS um, as two terms that people might hear. What's the difference between the two of them? The a, NDIA is the actual agency itself and that, that's, that's who employs like the delegates. And then the NDIS is actually the scheme. So that's the actual funding of the NDIA. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's the two differences. I'm going to ask a few more basic questions, I'm afraid, um, because we are trying to cover, I suppose, the uh, the basic understanding of the NDIS. Uh, one of the questions, I suppose, the, the main ones is, when is someone eligible for the NDIS? So what happens is, if someone um, feels as though they've got a disability, you know, and they would require the support that the NDIS is able to provide, they would actually fill in what we call an access request form and what you have to determine with that form or what the form does actually determine is it determines whether they actually meet the criteria of the NDIS scheme and it's basically around um, where they live, their age, um, whether their disability is ongoing and the functional impact that disability has on the person with their everyday life. When you say the age, what is the age range for the NDIS? You need to be able, you can get onto the scheme leading up to 65 and then once you're over 65, you then are into, you're into the aged care sector. But once you're actually on the scheme, so if you actually come onto the scheme before 65, you have a choice to be able to stay on the scheme or swap into the aged care sector. And what sort of things, um, once you get onto the NDS, what sort of things is it meant to fund? We fund, um, first of all, with local area coordination, what we're very, very good at doing is looking at what services are actually available for people that are what we call in the mainstream, so that's actually out in the community. So we like to link people in first to non-funded supports if we can, 
and then we actually explore what funded supports the person needs as well. So, for instance, you know, if you wanted to, um, if you needed, say, some psychological support with counselling, you know, you can actually go to your doctor and actually get some um, sessions through, like, referral. So that means that frees up your actual CB daily activities, the therapy funding, to be able to then use in other areas. So, you know, it's about identifying what the person needs so the type of things that we actually fund is um, we, tr- we fund transport assistance and around the fa- transport assistance, once again, there's a criteria set to that and there's different levels of transport assistance depending on whether someone's working and volunteering, um, you know, how many hours. It obviously goes up and increases because their needs are more for the actual transport requirements. We support... Um, money with in-home support as well as community access. So like Pip had explained before, you know, we're able to fund people to come into people's homes and support them with meal learning how to prep meals. You know, it's around the um, support needs, around personal hygiene. We, you know, it's around what that person actually requires, but we also are able to fund access in the community. So that can be being supported to go out to different groups and activities as well as shopping, attending actual appointments. Um, we fund supported employment so people can actually get back into employment. But that's actually, you know, once again, there's a criteria with that. So some people, if we feel that supported employment isn't ideal, we then actually assist them to actually engage with Des Employ- Employment Services, which is your mainstream. We um, fund Allied Health which, like Pippa said, with her um, rehabilitation, you know, it's around occupational therapy, speech therapy, you know, a range of different therapists. Um, assistive technology, um, which is, you know, around prosthetics for people. It's around wheelchairs. It's all that type of technology that's able to assist the person. It's the funding regarding that with your maintenance and repairs. We fund home modifications, car modifications, um, once again, criterias, obviously. Um, plan management costs, so people are able to um, employ a plan manager to be able to pay their bills, and that gives that you know choice and control and flexibility in what services they're able to access. Um, and we're also able to fund tenancy support, which is around being able to assist people to be able to continue in their tenancy, and that's once again around, you know, um, employing a cleaner or um, yard maintenance so they're able to meet their, you know, tenancy agreements. So it sounds like there is a range of things that might get paid, like you said, through other services like um, like Medicare for the mental health plans or um, mainstream employment services or even things like the disability support pension, I imagine. But this is this is the other stuff. This is, I guess, other um, things specific to their disability and their living their life. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I always um, like... You know, because I've got to try and explain this to people, um, what we do. And I always sort of explain that we're like the mortar in between the bricks. You've already got services that are already in place. Like you've got the mental health sector, you've got the aged care sector. You've also got like Medicare, you know, you've got disability, um, which is us in the sense of funding for support. But then you've also got things like your employment and what we do is we come in between all that and we support the person where their their disability impacts on their life. And we don't fund where there's already funding that's available. Okay. Now, getting back to applying for the NDIS, you said that people need to fill in an access request. How do they go about yep. doing that? 
Well, what they would do is they'd find a um, local area coordinators close in the area or they're able to go to the NDIS office themselves and then what they would do is they would um, have a chat about, you know, what their personal condition is and then it's deemed that, you know, and then that decision's made around whether um, it's medical or whether it's a disability because there's, you know, two different factors there. And then what we do is we support the person to then be able to access the scheme. So we're able to sit down with the person um, as local area coordinators and assist them to fill out their part of the forms. The other day I assisted a person to be able to get their birth certificate because reality is if you don't have your birth certificate, you really can't go forward even with Centrelink payments. So, you know, that's what our job is, is linking people in. And then what happens is the form then gets taken to the person's doctor and then they'll actually fill in their relevant areas and it's around what the capacity, like where does the disability affect them in their day-to-day life, you know, what affects it on their capacity, like are they, um, do they have problems accessing the community, have they got, you know, physical um, disabilities that impact on their ability to access the community, it's around that sort of stuff but it's also then evidence-based, so that's when, you know, we need to have the copies of the reports from the professionals that can back up okay. that information and then it's forwarded on to the NDIA, and then they make that decision. I, oh, clearly, people like yourself, like local area coordinators, are very helpful here. How do people find someone like yourself? We're actually we have a um, a lady that's employed to be able to actually go out into the community. She's a community engagement officer, and her job is like to go out to the library. Where um, I don't know if you know Matt Gambier, but there's a place, Lucendale, they have the big field day and that's around um, all the farming and all the communities around farming. It's a huge big day. Like we, we had a presence down there. So we are going to all different sorts of community groups, um, getting ourselves out there so then people are aware that we're here and then they're able to come in for that support. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, we're getting ourselves known and out in the community so then people know, okay, this is what we do, this is our role, we're linked in with NDIS, we're able to come and be supported to then be able to get onto the scheme. Now, about a third of stroke survivors are going to have some problem with things like um, speaking and understanding or reading and writing. What sort of support is available for people with communication problems like that? What we do is we actually employ, um, because it's not only that, we've actually obviously got people that come from different nationalities and different backgrounds, so we actually have interpreters we're able to contact. Um, we've got people that are able to sign that, you know, for people that have got hearing impairments. Um, it's around providing documentation that's in an easy read format. You know, sometimes it's around having that support people coming in to be able to assist the person because they know that person the best to be able to, you know, assist around forwarding the information. And we also support people to be able to allocate, you know, um, a nominee. And that nominee can be for a time frame. So, like, for instance, with Pip, with her brother, we could have actually, you know, put her brother in as a nominee um, because she trusts him and knows that he knows her and has her best interests. But we can actually put a time frame on that. So it could be that that's, he's in place for 12 months. And then after that time frame you know, that can be removed because, you know, her rehabilitation's obviously made her be able to, um, you know, have more functionality and then she's able to go from there. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really flexible, but there's a lot of um, support that we're able to get put in place to be able to help people. You mentioned Pip's story. Now, she also clearly had a bit of advocacy support from organisations like um, Disability South Australia and Brain Injury South Australia. Are those kind of things helpful as well, you think? Yeah, I do. The more people that can support someone, the better. I, I'm about the participant. So when I, have, when I do my um, review meetings and everything... I'm very focused on the person, not so much on what everyone else has to say when it comes to the goals, but it's the background information that's really important and it's the reports. You know, we can't get through enough how important it is for um, you to get your reports from your service providers because that's the evidence that we need to go forward with the next plans. So when everyone's working together, um, you know, good things really do occur because we're able to get a real good idea of where they're functioning, you know, where the improvements are, you know, um, even setting goals. Like, it's really great to have, you know, sort of support for the person to be able to come up with the best goals and the best outcomes for the next plan. Yeah, I guess I want to talk about that next stage, which is the the planning process. So once someone is approved uh, and everything that has gone well, the next thing they need to is create this plan for their supports and services. What does that process involve? So what would happen is, the actual access request form will actually go in. The participant will get either a phone call or a letter to say that they've actually been, um, you know, that their access has been accepted. So then moving forward, they'll be contacted by a local area coordinator or someone from the NDIA. And if it's a local area coordinator like myself, what happens is we arrange a time that suits the participant to come into um, our office. We are able to do home visits if someone isn't able to attend the office, but we're very flexible like that. We also travel, so we're located in Mount Gambia and we do the Limestone Coast. Like the region where we cover is huge. Like we head up to border town. So we're able to, we will actually go out to different regional areas to make it easier for people to be able to have face-to-face appointments because that's our goal. And then moving forward from there, we'll actually sit down with the person. We go through all the questionnaires and then we um, get a bit of an idea of the person with what supports they have. Like we've got um, questionnaires regarding participants. We call them like participant statements and it's around, you know, how does where does the person live, what type of supports the person has, then the next questions around um, what their interests are, you know, what sort of services they're looking at engaging in, if they've got interests, you know, like crocheting, like, you know, and then that gives me an um, opportunity to then do research as to what community programs are out there that are going to match the person. And then we actually set the goals and the goals are very... Um, the, we do SMART goals, which means that they are, they're outcome-based so you know we need like we need to know in 12 months time where were we from there to here like how have you actually achieved your goal so in pips so for a goal for pip could have been um you know one of hers is being able to walk at a faster pace already she's able to through her goals see that she's actually achieved that because her she's used to take an hour to walk down the hall now she's only taking minutes so that would have been a very good smart goal because there was an outcome that you could actually see at the end of that goal. What final advice would you have for people who are wanting to get the most out of their, their NDIS plan? Have a real good idea of what you're wanting from your funding. 
is the first thing. The second thing is link in with your area, local area coordinator or if you've got a support coordinator, link in with your support coordinator because there's a lot of people that get funded and they're not actually using their funds because they're not sure what they're to do and this is what we're here for. So if we ring you, ring us back because you know we do monitoring. So throughout our plan, we don't just leave the person to flunder we con- we're in contact and we make an arrangement with the person you know to keep in contact whether it's monthly every three months or six months and we keep on track to make sure that everything's okay and f- and make sure you feel comfortable to ring and ask questions because no question's a silly question so you know because we're here to support people to get the best they can out of their plans Bri it's great to know that there are people like you on the other end of the of the line there as well yep we're all passionate in this role <laughs> <laughs> excellent well thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today you're welcome. Uh, that was Local Area Coordinator Bree Lauper. If you're a family member or friend of someone that has had a stroke, you know that it's just the start of a long journey to reclaim their life. As one of Australia's biggest killers and the leading cause of adult disability, we still have a long way to go until we can say we have beaten it. At the Stroke Foundation, we draw our inspiration from the determination and persistence of stroke survivors. And that's why we work every day to prevent, treat and beat stroke. There are many ways you can join us to fight stroke, including volunteering your time, telling your story for us to share with the media, speaking up and approaching your local member of parliament with our advocacy team, getting your workplace or community group behind an event like National Stroke Week or Stride for Stroke, running a fundraiser, donating or leaving a lasting gift in your will, or just by sharing the fast message with the people around you. So all Australians will know how to recognise a stroke and act fast. Join the Fight Stroke team. Find out more at strokefoundation.org.au. Our final guest today is Siobhan McGuinness. Siobhan is a social worker who can be heard on the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line. Siobhan, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Chris. I imagine that on Stroke Line you've heard a lot of different stories about stroke survivors uh, dealing with the NDIS. We do indeed. We get a variety of questions on, particularly the, around the access for the NDIS. Um, I can go through a, a few. Um, so probably the first is the time-consuming nature of the access uh, process. So we have had quite a number of callers who are finding that the access process can take some time. This can be due to a variety of reasons. So the access request being declined, the NDIA asking for additional information from medical or allied health professionals, um, and also too sometimes for people who have finished their, their rehab and haven't had services involved for a while, it might be finding their previous health professionals and getting them to write the medical and allied health reports. Um, with stroke survivors, we also have had a number of calls in regards to um, having the access process or having their access application declined. This can be especially challenging for stroke survivors in regards to starting the access process too early. So we'd always recommend that you talk to your doctor about when your health condition might be considered stable, particularly for those who've had a stroke. So, for example, we had a, a caller a little bit of time ago now who was a stroke survivor who was in hospital. Um, our family member had actually spoken to them and their next of kin in regards to the NDIS uh, about how it could possibly be beneficial for them, but the doctor wasn't able to confirm a permanent disability at the time, so their application was declined. And this can be something that comes up quite regularly with the callers that we get. 
Um, the access process itself can be daunting to some people. So we've had a number of callers from people who are struggling to understand the access process and, and how to get started. Um, and I think Bree touched on that a little bit as well, a little bit earlier. So we'd always recommend calling the NDIA and checking your eligibility. So eligibility in regards to, as Bree discussed, age, um, your geographical area, your age, sorry, your um, whether your disability is permanent and the impact that your disability has on your daily activities as well. Sounds like one of the problems may be the fact that you're dealing with a government uh, system here which has bureaucratic language uh, and we've heard some of that today. Um, how important is it is, is do you think people will be able to speak that NDIS language and, and how do they learn it? Yeah look I think it's really important Chris because there is a, a whole world of NDIS um, inverted commas jargon out there so it is a good idea to start getting your head around some of the terms that are used. Um, this can help you better understand the information provided by the NDIS and knowing what the terms mean can also help with streamlining this process. So the things that we'd suggest that people uh, think about are things like uh, reasonable and necessary. So understanding the idea of reasonable and necessary supports. Um, important to know what that means so you can be sure to ask for supports that are likely to be funded. So the NDS will, su will provide supports that are directly related to your disability and not those related to day-to-day -day living costs that have no relation to your disability as Bree talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and also to um, they NDIS aren't able to provide funding for supports that can be accessed, you know, as we talked about earlier, from places like Medicare or other government funding services. Um, it's also a good idea to have a, an understanding about the differences between core capital and capacity funding, as these describe the different types of supports available to help you achieve your goals. So if we think about core funding, these are activities that help you in your everyday life. So things like helping you to cook a meal, helping you to have a meal delivered, help to go to a social activity, um, such as your local gym or sporting club. So like Pip was talking about, um, assistance with her shopping, her gardening and getting to and fro from appointments. Capital funding is, as Bree described, uh, a funding for equipment, home or vehicle modifications or specialist accommodation. So vehicle modifications to enable you to drive. And also, as we, we talked about, the home modifications. So capacity is the last, so that's um, providing support or funding uh, that helps you learn new skills. So conclude help with your NDIS plan through a support coordinator, uh, as Bree was talking about and as Pip were talking about, helping find or keep a job. So it might be looking at things like um, imp also improved living arrangements, also looking at things like improving relationships, so maybe accessing behaviour intervention programs or social skill development programs to help people live a, as independent a life as possible, um, improve learning through either looking at school or further education or linking them into other supports. Now look, it all does sound quite daunting, but I'm sure you've also heard some, some success stories about, you know, when the NDIS does work for people. Oh, look, absolutely. We've um, we've had some good success stories. So um, if people want to have a look on our Enable Me website, there is a great blog by Desney King who talks about how she accessed the NDIS and that the, the process was quite a, a smooth and reasonably quick one for her. I think Pip's story is a very positive yeah. one as well. Um, 
I've recently had a call from a young stroke survivor who was feeling you know, quite isolated following their stroke. Uh, they'd had no supports in, in place apart from the uh, outpatient rehab that they were attending. So they did have some ongoing difficulties with their communication and getting out to the community whilst their, uh, the people they were living with, their parents, were working. So through the NDIS plan, they were able to get out to a local communication group with the help of a carer, paid carer. And then they were able to start participating in a local gardening program, which helped them gain new skills, meet new people, uh, extend their social interaction as well. So I guess to sum up, what are your top tips for people um, to applying for access to the NDIS and setting up a plan? Yep. So I think the, the first one would be research and know how the NDIS works. So start thinking about it as early as possible. So to maximise your participation in the scheme. So you need to know, you know what's included, what's not included. We'd always suggest going and visiting the NDIS website, um, maybe looking at webinars that are available, ringing the stroke line service, contacting your local area coordinator. There's lots of really great resources and information out there um, that you can actually print out, which can help you um, know what, what can be provided through the NDIS, how to develop goals, um, those sorts of things. Um, also to involve your family, involve your friends, involve your rehab team in regards to that as well. I think both as Pip and Bree had mentioned, um, have a clear vision and think about your goals. So not just your immediate goals, but your longer term goals. So think about what's important to you. Think about how do you want to live your life and what do you want to achieve and consider all aspects of your life. So we'd often suggest putting together, say, a list of goals, you know, looking at both the small and the big and writing those things down. So perhaps doing a list of what you do every day, where you need help, uh, what you think would make it easier for you to achieve those goals and be as specific as you can about what you need, what you want, what your goals are and how you want to live. Um, the NDIS have some good resources in regards to um, thinking about and planning your goals. There's also other services out there such as Urala and Valid which have some really good resources as well. Um, sometimes it can be helpful to take notes on the challenges and issues you run into that make life harder than it should be. So this can often help spark some ideas about the kinds of support you want from your NDIS plan. Um, so again, writing things down and um, you know, planning, planning for the future. Um, we would also say that um, Thinking about the language and being aware of the access request and the language is probably really important. Um, they're probably the, the top tips. Um, so probably in summary, research and look at as much information as possible. Keep it all together and use it as a guide for your journey. Talk to those around you, your friends, your family, your medical team, your doctor, involve them in the process. Um, ask questions. So I think Bree mentioned, you know, no question is a silly question, so don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and probably the most important, check out a plan before it's submitted. So if there's anything that you feel that is not included or there's any information that you think could be helpful in developing that plan and that goals, um, making sure that that's in the plan before it's submitted. Otherwise, potentially, you will have to look at an appeals process to have that plan changed. Thank you very much, Siobhan. Now, remember, if you want to speak to a health professional like Siobhan and get some advice about the NDIS, you can call Stroke Line on 1800 787 653. That's 1800 STROKE. Or you can go onto Enable Me. You can ask a question and get a response from health professionals and other stroke survivors. Uh, now, that is it for part one of our NDIS podcast. Now, make sure you listen to part two, where we look further at getting services under your plan, what happens with the 12-month reviews, and what happens when things don't go according to plan. 
If you like what you've heard today, please give us a good rating and review on wherever you found this podcast, as that helps lift us up in the search rankings so other people can find us. Um, now, thanks again to our guests, Pip Murray, Bree Lowther, and Siobhan McGuinness. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. You can also suggest a topic or provide feedback on this podcast. Enable Me has qualified health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio Studio, which you can find out more about at facebook.com slash studio4four99. That's F-O-U-R-99. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the Stroke Foundation in Australia, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. See strokefoundation.org.au.